Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter, and this is Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be getting into Chapter 5 of Polygamy in the Bible. We'll be on pages 30 to 40, and the chapter title is Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. We'll start the reader portion of the program, which is 22 minutes long. And then after the reader portion of the program, we'll get into the reading and commentary. For questions on polygamy, you can call in during the commentary portion of the program and questions on theology, we will take after we get through with the commentary portion of the program. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. There is a chat room for questions and comments at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentallymormon. This program goes live Monday through Friday from 6 p.m. until we're finished or around 8 p.m. So let's get into the reading. Thank you for listening. Abraham, Sarah and Hagar, chapter 5 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 30 to 40 hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock when ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit when ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bear you. Isa. 51, 2. The first mention of Abraham's wife. Sarah, states that she had no child, Genesis 11.30, which was considered a reproach upon a woman in those days. Not willing to allow her husband to fail in having a posterity, she was willing to relinquish their servant girl, Hagar, to become his wife and have the children. Sarah said she was barren because the Lord has prevented me from bearing. The Bible then tells us this interesting story. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, I pray thee, go in unto my maid. 
It may be that I may, 31, obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Genesis 16, 1-3 By our standards this would seem to be a highly unethical situation and dash prohibited by social mores, modern custom and in some instances, by civil law. But the Lord did not look upon this situation in such a manner. Dr. Martin Luther observed, even those errors sees that the fulfillment of the promise is being delayed and even though she despairs and dash both because of her barrenness and because of her age and dash of being a mother, she nevertheless relinquishes the glory of motherhood in the utmost humility and is content if her maid Hagar becomes pregnant by Abraham. Therefore she holds fast to her faith and hope in the mercy of God. In the utmost humility she bears the disgrace of barrenness and willingly concedes this honor to her maid. But Sarah distinguishes most beautifully among the gifts of God. Even though she is barren, she believes that he loves her. For this reason she willingly concedes the glory of fertility to her maid. Thus the virtue of this woman is extraordinary in every respect. Therefore Sarah is deservedly held up by Peter, 1 Peter 3, 6, as a pattern for the entire female sex. Luther's works 344, 32, there is another important consideration that should be recognized which was later written into the law that Moses gave to the descendants of Abraham. Notice that the scripture said the new wife was given after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. This ten years is a part of the law which was recognized by scholars as a time limit for women to bear children. Jewish scribes and scholars say that when a husband has lived with his wife for ten years, and she remains childless during that decade, then it is his right to take another wife. The reason for this was so that he would not die without an heir. Conversely, it was a woman's right to receive a divorce from a man who was impotent. If the marriage was childless after 10 years of cohabitation and the wife charged the husband with physical impotence, she was entitled to divorce. Encyclopedia of the Bible 4, 99, the ancient prophets and patriarchs were required to teach their wives these laws and principles pertaining to marriage. If a man was worthy to live plural marriage and obtain the blessings that it offered, then it was the order of family government that his wife should first give her consent. This was probably why Abraham took Hagar only after Sarai made the offer. Lieutenant is in such a condition that a wife feels that her husband is worthy of having another wife and more children. She must also consider him to be a man of integrity, to have sufficient means to provide for them, and to be a kind man treating wives and children in a manner pleasing to the Lord. This certainly must have been part of the motive that led Sarah to give another wife to Abraham. 33. Sarah was willing to make this sacrifice so that the promises of God could be fulfilled in Abraham's posterity, in spite of her apparent inability to provide those children. 
This was also the experience in the life of Abraham's grandson Jacob. Rachel and Leah gave Bilhar and Zilpah to Jacob as his wives by this same principle, because large families were highly respected in those days, and were the means of providing an increase of honor as well as possessions. If a man were unworthy of more wives, then his first wife stood as a witness against him. Some men proved unworthy with the first wife, and she could testify that he would only damage or destroy some other soul by his wicked and unwise conduct. His life was exposed as proof enough that he did not deserve any more wives or children. In this instance, a wife acts as a spokesman for God in rebuking a man who may seek wives for carnal and lustful purposes. Further responsibilities of more wives and children would only make conditions worse, becoming a complete misery for everyone involved. However, if a man is honorable, obedient to the laws of God, and capable of guiding more wives and children righteously, then his wife has no reason or justification for denying him those blessings. Instead, she becomes a helpmate for him in fulfilling those obligations of increase to their family. Another consideration should be made in regard to this part of biblical marriage rights. As a man increased in worthiness, he usually increased in his ability to teach and control his wives and children. Then as his family and dominions increased, the first wife notices that her importance and abilities would also increase. She learns that she has more freedom, 34, to do the things that she is best suited for, rather than so many burdensome things that always needed to be done. One wife may find pleasure in sewing, another in cooking, another in spending time teaching children. Each finds more satisfaction in a plural situation than she did in taking care of all the necessities in a monogamous one. Marriage, not unlike a small business, grows to expand its capabilities and opportunities resulting in more benefits to all who are a part of that order. Have you ever been to a family reunion with a man who had six or eight or more children? Try to imagine what it would be like with an addition of 40 grandchildren and half again as many great-grandchildren. The sharing of stories, festivities and joys unlike any other get-together. The honor and respect that is paid to their grand patriarch is a tribute that is without parallel when compared to the honors of the world. The family paternity is the most valuable possession of any man, and these ancients respected and yearned for it more than anything else. Today, in the United States, the average size family is 2.7. In their aging years a small family has little else to comfort them because of their restricted and confined family size. The lifestyle of patriarchal or plural marriage was not against the law of God. Furthermore, when Moses received the law of God for the children of Israel, it was no different than the polygamous lifestyle of Abraham. Luther notes, And Moses has reason to continue to call Sarah Abram's wife, and Abram her 35 husband. He does so in order to show that Abram did not become an adulterer and that the earlier marriage of Sarah and Abram had not been dissolved by this new arrangement. Abram remains the chaste husband of his very chaste wife, 
he lies with Hagar only to prevent the promise of God from being obstructed. Luther's Works 346 Also we may note that the law code of Hammurabi made provisions that a slave wife or handmaid who bore a child to her own and did not take the place of the childless wife in the family household. The latter, however, had no right to dismiss the slave wife and her child. St. Irvin's Encyclopedia of the Bible, 124. When the Lord told Abraham he would have a son, he laughed because he was so old. When Sarah was told that she would bear a son, she also laughed. But the Lord was not going to hold back any blessings from this polygamous family. Some have reasoned that the Lord prevented Sarah from having any children because she would not accept the principle of plural marriage. After she consented to accept Hagar into the family, then the Lord blessed her with a child. We can only say that in monogamy she felt cursed as a barren wife. In polygamy she was blessed with children. Lieutenant cannot be said that Sarah was without fault or the passions of jealousy, and she cast out the handmaid from their home. However, an angel of the 36, Lord appeared to Hagar and gave her comfort and a promise. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shah. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Genesis 16 7-11. If polygamy were a sin, God would not send an angel to comfort a woman who was living in it. Neither would he send her back into the house to keep on living such a crime. Neither would the angel give a promise from the Lord to bless her offspring and multiply thy seed exceedingly, and announce her pregnancy by the polygamist Abraham. The name of that son given by the angel was Ishmael meaning, God hears, not hardly the name to be given a child that was born in a sinful relationship. When a similar situation arose later and she and Ishmael were in the desert about to die at thirst, an angel of the Lord came again and told her where there was a spring of water. He further assured her that God was with her and that her children would become a great nation. 37. Abraham's life is written as an example for others to follow. He is unique, yet his obvious polygamy was with divine approval and cannot be dismissed. Abraham, whom God has selected from among all the people of the earth to become the progenitor of our Savior, was a polygamist. Was there not one good monogamist among all the earth's inhabitants whom God could have selected for this exalted position? there must have been. But as God wanted to encourage polygamy, he selected a polygamist. Does God consider plurality of wives adultery? 
Oh, no. It was while Abraham was living with two wives, God changed his name and gave him a more honorable one, and for the first time, promised that he should become the father of many nations, and that kings should come out of his loins, and established God's covenant with him. And while Abraham was living with two wives, God and his holy angels communed with him oftener, and talked with him more, and made him more great precious promises, than all the other men on the whole earth. If you doubt these facts, read the 17th and 18th chapters of Genesis. Abraham was never called the friend of God, until after he became a polygamist. Marriage, or, the Bible and polygamy, Rev. Summers, 16-17, After Abraham died, the Lord said to his son, Isaac, who was born in polygamy, I will make thy seed to multiply as the thirty-eight stars of heaven, and unto thy seed will I give all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Genesis 26, 4-5 The Lord said this about Abraham and a man who had two wives for about 19 years, and even added many more wives to his household. This shows that polygamy is not a sin in the eyes of God. Abraham is referred to, in both the Old and New Testaments, as that friend of God. No monogamist ever received that appellation from God. Neither did any woman married in monogamy ever have angels of the Lord give the same promises that they did to Sarah and Hagar. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died in Kirathaya, Hebron, which became the family burial place, and it can be seen today commemorated with a mosque over it. Ancient manuscripts are being unearthed today giving flowery descriptions of Sarah. Yet we already know by the scriptures that even when she was 65 years old, Abraham feared for his life, because she was so beautiful that others might desire her enough to threaten Abraham. The ancient prophet Isaiah paid tribute to her by telling the Israelites that they should be proud to be her descendants. Caesar 51, 2. She less than Sarah greater than is highly esteemed by the Jews as a kind of mother figure and 39, example of piety. She seems also to be admired as an epitome of feminine pulchritude. Irvin's Encyclopedia of the Bible, 5, 274. The disciples of Christ also paid respect and honor to her in their writings, because of her faith in God and obedience to his commandments. See Rom. 4, 19. Heb. 11, 11. 1 Pet. 3, 6. The life of Abraham was a transcript of perfection. He laid out a heavenly and honorable array of examples and patterns which pleased God, who, in turn, blessed and honored his seed. God testified to Abraham that he would have a lasting fame and immortal name. Abraham's family was united, peaceful, and prosperous, and they met with the full approbation of God. 
His marriages were right and proper. Nothing was unvirtuous or dishonorable. None of Abraham's children were considered illegitimate, nor did God cause any curse to come upon them. Abraham was visited by and talked to God. This man with two wives had a discussion with the Almighty about family and domestic concerns. God, knowing Abraham and his future, did not say anything about passion or lustful desires. God did not rebuke him for a carnal mind or being tempted with women. Why didn't he say something of that nature if Abraham was wrong in having two wives? Actually God encouraged his polygamy. This Bible story about Abraham might be condensed into just a few words. God was actually saying, Abraham, I see no fault with you having two forty wives. In fact, I'm going to bless you and your wives. I will bless them and their children with an endless posterity. I bless your wife Sarah with a son which she has not been able to have because of her age. I will bless her son and he shall be the means through which the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Your wife Hagar shall be greatly blessed and I will make her children become kings, potentates, and many nations shall be among her offspring. I shall assign an angel to watch over and care and comfort her. And you, Abraham, shall be blessed with children that shall be numbered as the sands upon the seashore. That is not the way God talks to sinners. The Christian world today will call Abraham a friend of God and the father of the faithful, but they refuse to accept his family lifestyle. God claims that he is that God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and that this shall be my name and my memorial to all generations. X. 3.15 If polygamy were not a principle that was to be sanctioned by Christians, then why was God representing himself to be the God of such notorious polygamists to all generations? Why didn't he choose some monogamists to represent himself, instead of polygamists? Why choose someone like polygamist Abraham to be a memorial to all future generations and as a most righteous family man to be respected? This memorial less than Abraham greater than is today the most honored man among the nations of the world. He is respected as a prophet, an obedient servant to God and the father of a family of royal blood. This honor comes from Jews, Mohammedans and Christians, alike. What an honor for a polygamist. 41, Chapter 6, The Promises of Abraham. Okay, now we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. I, uh, I'm going to be doing this today. Um, my wife has training after school, and I have to get up early to go and get my kids tomorrow. 
and then bring them home. And Kim might be on the program, but I'm not sure. I think she will be done by six, but then she has to drive home, and uh, that takes a while. So we'll see if she comes on. But um, since I am the one reading, I am pre-recording it. Today is Wednesday. Um, This will drop on Thursday. So if people call in, that's fine. We have 50 lines available just for people who want to listen. However, if you have any questions or comments during this portion of the program, just push one and I will bring you into the screening room while everybody else is listening to this pre-recorded message. And I will ask you what your question or comment is. And I will ask you if you want to go live on the air when this portion is done which might take an hour. I don't know. It's people, you know how I am. So we'll see how long it takes. But um, let's get into the commentary portion of the program. So let me just set this up real quick so I can make sure that everything is the way it needs to be. Okay, I think we're good. So, I actually read it from the reader program. Um, Oh, the other thing, too. I am starting to do screen recordings of the reader program as it reads it to me. So, I read along as we're listening to the reader program listen to it. And that helps me get ready for reading it and also to know what is being covered in the chapter. But I started uploading the reader program stuff to to my YouTube channel, which is, uh, you can find that at youtube.com forward slash user, user forward slash God is my compass or search me um, let's see what's my channel name fundamentally Mormon now it is kind of hard to find sometimes YouTube does have me shadow banned so people know what my content is and it's not bad so they can't kick me off the platform but it's not what they like so, so I'm shadow banned Pretty much it's just one of the ways that the adversary has found to keep my message from getting out there. And uh, if people want to help, they can share it on their own platforms, on their own uh, social media networks. That would help. Also, writing a good review, giving me a thumbs up, liking and sharing uh, especially on YouTube or following me uh, on blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. That helps get the word out there too. But I 
can only do what I can do. Um, I need other people to help carry on the message to other people. So if you feel inspired to do that, I would appreciate it if you would help. Okay, so let's get into the reading. Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, chapter 5 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 30 to 40. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bear you. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 2. The first mention of Abraham's wife, Sarah, states that she had no children. Bereshit, or Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, which was considered a reproach upon a woman in those days, or that she was cursed, basically. Not willing to allow her husband to fail in having a posterity or children, she was willing to relinquish their servant girl, Hagar, to become his wife and have the children. Sarah said she was barren because the Lord has prevented me from bearing. The Bible then tells us this interesting story, quote, Now Sariah Abram's wife bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar, and Sarai, Sarai <laughs> said unto Abram, Abram, now behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, if may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah, and Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, or Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Bereshit, or Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. By our standards, this would seem to be highly unethical, an unethical situation prohibited by social mores, modern custom, and in some instances by civil law. But the Lord did not look upon that situation with such a manner. Dr. Martin Luther, who was born in the late 1400s, observed, quote, even though Sarah sees that the fulfillment of the promise is being delayed, and even though she despairs, both because of her barrenness and because of her age of being a mother, she nevertheless re relinquishes the glory of motherhood in the utmost humility and is content if her, if her maid, her handmaid, <clears throat> Hagar, becomes pregnant by Abraham. Therefore, she holds fast to her faith and hope in the mercy of God, and in the utmost humility, she bears the disgrace of barrenness and unwillingly concedes this honor to her maid. But Sarah dis distinguishes mostly 
beautifully, most beautifully among the gifts of God. Even though she is barren, she believes that he loves her. For this reason, she willingly concedes the glory of fertility to her maid. Thus, the virtue of this woman is extraordinary in every aspect, in every, in every respect. Therefore, Sarah is deservedly held up by Peter, uh, and see First Peter chapter three verse six, as a pattern for the entire female sex, and that's end quote by Martin Luther, by Luther's works, volume three, page forty-four. Now we're on page thirty-two. For those of you reading along, and we're at fifteen percent. There is another important consideration that should be recognized, which was later written unto the law, into the law that Moses gave to the descendants of Abraham. Notice that the scripture said the new wife was given after Abraham dwelt in a tent in the land of Canaan or Canaan. Um, he dwelt ten years in that tent in the land of Canaan. Anyway, this 10 years is part of the law which was recognized by scholars as a time limit for women to bear children. Jewish scribes and scholars say that when a husband has lived with his wife for 10 years and she remains childless during that decade, then it is his right to take another wife. The reason for this was so that he would not die without an heir. Conversely, it was a woman's right to receive a divorce from a man who was impotent. Quote, if the marriage was childless after 10 years of cohabitation and the, ch- and the wife charged the husband with physical imp- impotency, she was entitled to divorce. And quote, Encyclopedia of the Bible, volume 4, page 99. The ancient prophets and patriarchs were required to teach their wives these laws and principles pertaining to marriage. If a man was worthy to live plural marriage and obtain the blessing that it offered, the blessings that it offered, then it was the order of the family government that his wife should first give her consent. This was probably why Abraham took Hagar only after Sarai made the offer. It is in such a condition that a wife feels that her husband is worthy of having another wife and more children. She must also consider him to be a man of integrity, to have sufficient means to provide for them, and to be a kind man treating wives and children in a manner pleasing to the Lord. This certainly must have been part of the motive that led Sarah to give another wife to Abraham. Page 33. Sarah was willing to make this sacrifice so that the promises of God could be fulfilled in Abraham's posterity. In spite of her apparent inability to provide those, cho- provide those children, This was also the experience in the life of Abraham's grandson, Jacob, or Yehov. Rachel and Leah gave Bila and Zilpah to Jacob as his wives by the same principles, 
because large families were highly respected in those days and were the means of providing an increase of honor as well as possessions. I have a question. Some people that want to discount polygamy won't consider the handmaids of Leah and Rachel to be the wives of Jacob, even though all of Israel comes through these four wives. And others will say that, you know, that polygamy is a great abomination, which is weird because Jacob, his last, or his name was changed to Israel, which means God will prevail. And God blessed him with the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Yehov or Jacob had four wives. When he's resurrected in the millennial reign, if polygamy is an abomination, does Jacob or Yaakov have to choose Leah because she was the first wife over Rachel, the one whom he loved? And does he have to cast her out because polygamy is such an abomination? I mean, that's what some people think. That's not that's not what the facts are. The facts are that God allowed polygamy and there was specific reasons, which maybe you don't understand, but God completely understands. And we look at it with our carnal Gentile mindset and eyes and we, we think, oh, how horrible. But in God's eyes, it's not horrible. It is horrible if you take too many wives and you're, it's horrible if you take one wife and you mistreat her. That's horrible in and of itself. But to try to uh, twist Jacob chapter 2 into meaning something it doesn't mean, it just, I was just driving my truck last night and it just came to me. If polygamy is such an evil abomination, when we're resurrected, Which wife does Jacob get to be with? Which ones does he have to cast off? I know the whole thing about they're neither uh, married or given in marriage and all of that. There's more to that that I'm not going to get into today because that's not what we're talking about. But if you know the restoration, you know that there are sealing ordinances that are done, and you know that marriage is eternal, or it can be at least. And in fact, people who are exalted are no longer angels per se, and all that means is that they're no longer... Well, actually, I'm an angel under the Hebrew definition, and angel is anyone that's sent by God, and I was sent by God to teach you and everybody else that listens to this program but uh and talks to me personally whatever but but in the millennium we're all resurrected does jacob not is he not able to have a relationship with those wives who bore him all of those sons and daughters by the way but the 12 tribes of israel and does jacob have to like only accept the children of the first wife. You know, it, it just, 
I don't know. I it's some thoughts that that I'm trying to present to people to consider. Um, you know, and ask yourself those questions, and then go to God with the with the information. But um, but you have to study that to the best of your ability. You can't just run around and ask God questions like you're shaking a magic eight ball. That disrespects and dishonors God, and we're not going to get answers, not from him, if we don't take these things seriously, if we treat these things lightly. Anyway, um, we're 28% uh, 28 through with the reading for today, and I'll continue. If a man were unworthy of more wives, then his first wife stood as a witness against him. Some men proved unworthy with the first wife, and she could testify that he would only damage or destroy some other soul by his wicked and unwise conduct. So basically... If a man wants, I, I get a kick out of all these guys. They come to me, and they're usually in their twenties or something, and they're so excited. They want to live polygamy, and uh, and they don't have a wife. Well, hey, guy, make your life better so that you will be more attractive to taking care of a family and a wife, and then treat her well and see where things go. I mean, if God wants you to live it, He's the one that has to let you know that you know. But these guys. Uh, I want to say young, dumb, and something else, but I'm not going to say it on the program. But if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. His life was exposed as proof enough that he did not deserve any more wives or children. In this instance, a wife acts as a spokesman for God in rebuking a man who may seek wives for carnal and lustful purposes. Further responsibilities of more wives and children would only make conditions worse, becoming a complete misery for everyone involved. However, if a man is honorable, obedient to the laws of God, and capable of guiding more wives and children righteously, then his wife has no reason or justification for denying him those blessings. Instead, she becomes a helpmeet for him in fulfilling those obligations of increase to their family. Another consideration should be made in regard to this part of biblical marriage rights. As a man increased in worthiness, he usually increased in his ability to teach and control his wives and children. I have a problem with controlling wives and children. Like, I don't think it's... I don't control. I... I let... The reason why I have such a successful marriage with my wife is because I let her be her. And we talk about things that need to be done, and we help each other. But, like, if you want a good family, you have to bless each other, and you have to serve each other. And, yeah, we've got teenagers, so things aren't always as easy as I wish they'd be. But we want to bless each other in our family and let each other be the person, the people that they are, and help them to be better people. Like, that's my greatest 
wish for my wife and my children is that they would be the best that they can be. And also that we can forgive each other for our humanity because nobody's going to be the best all the time. We're all going to have mistakes, make mistakes, have disagreements, sometimes arguments, but, but that we should help each other to be blessed and serve each other. And I try to teach my kids that and my wife is on the same page with me. And in order to have a good family, it's not about control because control is an abuse tactic. It's letting people be free to be themselves and loving them enough to let them be free. And also forgiving quickly when somebody is wronged someone else. Anyway, continuing on with the reading. Then as his family and dominions increased, the first wife notices that her importance and abilities would also increase. She learns that she has more freedom to do the things that she is best suited for rather than so many burdensome things that always need to be done. And my wife, I'm pretty sure if she were on, she could tell you about like how we never have time to do all the things that we have to do. I mean, okay, so from my wife's perspective, um, I usually get home around 5 in the morning, 5.15, 5.20. I wake everybody up at 5.30. And from 5.30 in the morning until 9.30, sometimes 10.30, sometimes 11 o'clock at night, all these things that my wife has to do have to be done. And each one of us has a role in helping and doing different things. But like she has so much on her plate just as a, as a married mother of five living children. And also the fact that, um, I have this radio program that I do every day. And I was telling her the other day, um, you know, if, if, I need to quit my job to help out more around the house. I could do that or I could be a part-time driver, but all of the equipment that we need for the hay and for the farm and all the things that we want to do to make this house nicer, like that costs money and that's not going to happen if I stop. And I would rather not work as much as I do, but it is something I have to do. I've got to do it in order to do the things that we need to do to have the money that we need. And I'm not going to ask anybody to help us because I believe in being self-sufficient. When I was homeless, I never begged for money. I never asked anyone for money. Maybe that's because of who I was raised by. My grandparents raised me. They were both born in 1923. And they came out of the Depression. And they believed in working. And I think, even though as a kid, I wouldn't always want to work, of course, because what kid ever does. But, um, But I did like money back then, so I did work. I had jobs. I mowed lawns, shoveled driveways, 
Um, I worked in the opal mines that my grandfather had. Uh, I cut stones and made jewelry. Uh, when I was after I was about 12 years old, I started making jewelry. Um, I chop wood for money. I till till gardens for money. You know, so I guess I've always been a worker when there's something at the end of it, but just to work to work, <laughs> just to do chores. That wasn't ever fun, but but um, and I don't know where I was going on with that, but. With um, a polygamous relationship, using one family that I know, the husband has a very good job with the government. He is really intelligent, and he has very high degrees in schooling, and so he works for the government. And um, his first wife, is very educated as well. But she uses her education to homeschool her children. His second wife was or is a nurse and she's very intelligent and very um she loves to work. She loves her job. And she's a specialized nurse, so she you know, there's things at her job that she doesn't always like, and she tells me about them because we're friends, you know. But um, but my friend and his two wives, like one of them stays home and takes care of the home and the family because that's what she loves. My wife, the way that she was abused before I met her, she was trapped in her home for years, locked up like he would tell her to go get specific things at the grocery store or whatever. And if she came back with the wrong thing, that she would pay the consequences for it. Um, he would hold the kids hostage so that she wouldn't run away. And so she goes crazy when she's has to stay home. Even so for many years, um, she didn't work because she thought it would be more beneficial, and I agreed with her, that I work and she she take care of our, our very young ones. And she homeschooled and all of that for a while, uh, for quite a while, actually. Um, but she was always doing service projects. And the church that we go to, there's a, there's a, a food pantry and a thrift store, and they have all these little ministries going on that they like to do in the community. And their motto is, love God, love people, change the world. And she used to volunteer full time, helping out with that ministry, even though we have never been members of that Pentecostal church that we enjoy she just loved being able to get out and work. And now that she has, and she had her degree before she, you know, she was teaching in New Hampshire when I was, when we first got married nine and a half years ago. And when she got pregnant, um, she had to quit because she was throwing up all the time and she has pretty hard pregnancies. 
but anyway, so I was like, okay, well, I'll take, I'll take on this load. And, um, but she always wanted to go back. And now that she is back in a teaching position, she loves her job. But she doesn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. But both of us work full-time, and we have five kids. And we have 11 goats, <laughs> uh, two of whom are pregnant, and we're waiting on them to give birth. We have a bunch of chickens, a bunch of cats, and a bunch of dogs, or well, two dogs. And they all require our attention. Not to mention the fact that, did I, did I mention that we have five kids? We have a two-year-old boy a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old girl, a 13-year-old daughter, and a 16-year-old son that make all kinds of messes and do all kinds of kid things, and you're like, what in the world? But a lot of times, because of my schedule, I'm, I leave the house before my wife even gets home. And then in order to make sure things run smoothly... They have to get all of their clothes ready, make sure there's laundry going uh, and switching out, uh, doing dinner, making the food for, bre- or for breakfast or lunch for the next day, um, and doing all of the hay and all of the things. And it is a full-on workload from the time she gets up to the time she goes to bed. And I help out in the morning from 5.30 until 7.30 when they're gone. And then I go to bed around 8 after I've taken a shower. And I get up whenever I get up. Usually I only sleep five or six hours a day. I wish I could sleep more. And I don't know how in the world I even pull off the schedule that I pull off. But then I've got this this ministry, which takes time. And then I've got a job where this week I have 23 hours left in my work week. So today uh, today I can work 11.5 hours and tomorrow I can work 11.5 hours. And then I hit my 70 hour law that I have to obey. And then I get a day off. And that's what happens Week in and week out, month in, month out, year after year, it's always going to be that way because that's the way our life is. But if we had a situation where we had, like my first wife, who is still alive, and I am sealed to her, she's also a teacher. I like teachers. She's music. She loves music. She has Asperger's, and she knows how to, every instrument she's she's so qualified and so gifted um but if she you know if if my first wife ever rejoined her family which i don't think that'll ever happen but if she did um and she decided to run a little school out of her home for teaching kids 
the violin or the cello or a piano or a flute or any of the other hundreds of literally she's like she's like the albert einstein of of music i she's so intelligent she was going to college i think at the age of 14 anyway but um and she decided that she wanted to do that kind of part-time and stay home and take care of the house and have a you know and that would that would ease the burden of my wife it would ease my burdens as well you know people with a carnal mindset or a gentile mindset they might think it's all about sex it is not all about sex there are benefits to polygamy and God allows it as we're getting into by laying down the foundation with polygamy in the Bible anyway we're at 56 minutes into the program and I'm only 36% done so I'm going to find a place to finish uh, reading and then if we have if my wife comes on and she can help read that would be great uh, if my son comes on and he wants to help read, that would be great too. But I'm just trying to help out by doing some of the reading for today. And now, if I don't have either one of them on, I'll let you know because I am listening to this on Thursday when I'm going to be dropping this program. And I have a very expensive cell phone booster on my semi truck, so it doesn't break up too much but it still does sometimes but I can listen and and as soon as I'm done with this recording I will be able to talk most likely unless I'm in the dip or going up wash plant or horseshoe or wherever else I'm at that breaks up a little bit but chances are I will be able to come on and talk so I don't know what's going to happen I don't know if my wife or my son are going to be able to help read, but if they are not able to do that, I'll have to do a part two of this, which I'll drop on Friday. All right. One wife may find pleasure in sewing and another in cooking and another in spending time teaching the children. Each finds more satisfaction in a plural situation than she did taking care of all the necessities in a monogamous one. Marriage, not unlike... A small business grows to expand its capabilities and opportunities resulting in more benefits to all who are part of that order. Have you ever been in a family reunion with a man who had six or eight or more children? Try to imagine what it would be like with an addition of 40 grandchildren and half again as many great-grandchildren. The sharing of stories festivities and joy is unlikely any other is unlike I'm sorry is unlike any other get together the honor and respect that is paid to their grand patriarch is a tribute that is without peril when compared to the honors of the world the family fraternity is most valuable is the most, most valuable possession of any man and these ancients respected and yearned for it more than anything else. Today in the United States, the average size of fam- a family is 
In their aging years, a small family has little else to comfort them because of their restricted and confined family size. Also, I was just listening to Elder Holland give a talk, and he was talking about um, an individual who jumped in his truck with stuff to go to the DI, and he backed up, and he felt the tires roll over something, and he thought something fell out of his truck, and he got out, and it was their nine-year-old son who didn't make it. Which, by the way, that talk that Elder Holland gives, I loved it. It was so good. I wish I'd give more talks like that, but... Um, if this family only had one or two children and their past child bearing ages I mean as big of a tragedy as it was it could have been so much worse if the family hadn't been able to come together in grief with each grieve with each other and even though they've lost this child they still have other children and they will have grandchildren through these other children and they will be able to have the joys of family life but if you've got one child or you've got two child children and they die and you're left alone in the world I just don't even I don't even know like, Kim and I have had, uh, we have five living children. We've had two miscarriages, one stillborn, Ezekiel. Who would be four right now. And Emma, who would have just turned one in November. And she she was alive for about half a day before she died. But we would like more children. But I don't know if Kim can have more children. The way the operation was, how she how they did things, we're just not sure. We're, we have to wait three to five years. And then we have to do some stuff and try to figure things out. But she wanted at least seven. And I love children. And even though they drive me nuts sometimes, I love my teenagers too. <laughs> like, I love them so much. And I love all of their qualities. And uh, I'm not so fond of the teenagers especially the 13-year-old, the, not 13-year-old, the, uh, the 16-year-old, with how he can be. <laughs> it tries to be nuts sometimes. But um, I don't know. Like people, I don't know. I just love children. I love my kids so much. My life wasn't, wasn't complete until I had children. And my life is so full now because of my wife and my children. And interestingly enough, I know I've got to find a place to stop this, but um, my first wife, she was President Hinckley's niece. 
I was never good enough for her family because of my past, because I'm only a truck driver, because I'm not college educated. Like, they were always backstabbing me all the time, even though my first wife loved me very much. But her mom and her dad were always, and her sister, especially Laura, she, uh, they, they were, they were rude, you know, and, and always trying to get in between my wife and myself. And my mom tried to get in between my wife and my wife, Kim, and myself, and I finally just, I'm done with my mom, I, I don't even talk to her anymore, but, um, but I was never good enough for my first wife, and she decided that she wanted to separate and then leave me and have all the legal process, and there was nothing I could do to save it. I tried everything, and it, it was just nothing that I could do about it. But one of the things that she accused me of was that she wanted to have children so badly and I was sterile, she thought. Like, she actually told the judge that I was sterile and couldn't give her children, or couldn't couldn't get her pregnant so she could have children. Well, looks like time has told that story, because I have children. My wife's been pregnant nine times. We have five living children. And I feel sorry for this first wife of mine because she has never been able to get married again. She has no children and she's in her 40s. Anyway, let me see if I can find a place to uh, to end this so that somebody else can take over. The lifestyle of patriarchal or, or poor marriage was not against the law of God. Furthermore, when Moses received the law of God for the children of Israel, it was no different than the polygamous lifestyle of Abraham. Martin Luther, who was born in the 14, late 1400s, notes, the, and Moses has reason to continue to call Sarah Abraham's wife, and Abraham, her husband, he does so in order to show that Abram did not become an adulterer, and you need to learn what the the word adultery is in the uh, in the Hebrew Old Testament because it it isn't what you think it is. I I am not getting into that right now. But and that the earlier marriage of Sarah and Abraham had not been dissolved by this new arrangement. Abraham remains the chaste hus chaste husband of his very chaste wife. He lies with Hagar only to prevent the promise of God from being obstructed. And that's Luther's Works, Volume 3, page 46. So I'm going to end it at that point. We're on page 35, and we are we just finished uh, Luther's Works, Volume 3, page 46. So hopefully uh, we'll have to do a part two if nobody can read. Hopefully somebody's there to read. We'll see what happens when we come back. But remember, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. 917-889-8827.
That's 917-889-8827, and we are opening up the phone lines at this point, so if you have questions or comments, please call in. And remember that we go live Monday through Friday from 6 p.m. until we're finished or around 7 or 8. So thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. Are you on, Kim? I, I am you. on. Am I unmuted? Am I unmuted? Yes. Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Sorry, so my phone hung up on me or something, and so I had to call back in. I saw yeah, that. Yeah, so then I didn't know. Yeah, I was like, uh, I don't know what's going on next. So, yeah. <clears throat> um. Also, you were unmuted, and there was, like, some noise going on. And I know. I, did you get my text? I was like, eh. I saw it after the fact, so I have to, when I get up to the mine before I cross in onto the M-Shot controlled property, I have to get out and check my gate, and um, okay. it transferred over to the, to the truck, um, it transferred over to the truck, so I was like, when I got back in, I was like, oh, oops, so I knew what you were talking about, <laughs> Um, Okay, one thing before you get into the reading. So we're on page 35. We are at, uh, we just finished Luther's Works, Volume 3, page 46. Um, Okay. But I was thinking about it as I was listening to myself talk. (laughs) Um, So if polygamy is such an abomination, then Rachel was illegitimate. She was not his wife, and neither was Dilpa or uh, whatever the other the other girl's name was. I can't remember. Anyway, so like the majority of the twelve tribes of Israel are all bastards. Like if that's what people want to think, like let's go to the logical conclusion. We all yeah. are are a tribe of bastards, and I'm not. And you're not, you know. So, like, it just drives me nuts. Like, people take one thing out of context and they don't look at everything and try to try to understand it, you know. And I don't know. I just it drives me insane. Um, And I was listening to to Jacob Israel, or I think it's Israel. I, I was listening to a YouTube thing last night, and he was ranting and raving about how Joseph Smith's polygamy, this, and he never lived it, and he taught against it, and on and on and on and on. And I just, you know, and then he even quoted the Times and Seasons, uh, April of uh, 1841, and I don't know why, but there's a ton of squeaking in the, the mic on oh, your sorry. end. Sorry. Is your headset on? No. Uh, oh. Um, you took it with you to school, though. Is it dead? I did, yes, but I'm still in the car, so it's hooked up to the car. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, anyway, he's all very passionate about this, uh, you know, anti-polygamy stance that he's taken. Which has actually got him kicked out of the church, which, you know what, um, I've been feeling lately that um, we should actually send in our resignation letters 
I mean, I don't have to. Um, I, I've been feeling lately that people need to leave the church so that they are not cursed by the curses that are coming into that organization, uh, which I know I haven't talked to you about, but um, our two oldest are members of the church, too, and Kim is still a member of the LDS church, but uh, I feel like we need to sever our ties completely. Anyway, but uh, back to this Jacob guy. I mean, I like he makes a lot of interesting points, and I think that a lot of them are valid, but they're only valid in part because he's not looking at the full picture. Whether or not Joseph Smith lived polygamy the way that Brigham and Heber C. Kimball and others did is irrelevant to me. Because I understand the ceiling, uh, the, the importance of the ceiling ordinances, which Joseph Smith, I believe he understood them too. And when he presented those type of things to these men, they just ran headlong into polygamy, and that was like out of order, completely out of order. They shouldn't have done what they did. He did Joseph didn't give, him, give them the wives, and then they tried to say, well, Joseph lived it too with all of the lies that, that contradict what Joseph was, was saying at the time. Well, he was still alive in Nauvoo in, 1840, in the 1840s. So, um, and like we know that Joseph like would talk about, you know, I'm trying to get the saints prepared to live certain things, but like they basically can't get it. And he said it was like uh, splitting hemlock knots, which is a hard wood in and of, of itself. But the knot part of the wood is even harder than the hard wood uh, with a corn dodger or piece of cornbread for a wedge and a pumpkin for a beetle. Or, uh, and that would be like basically saying, you know, I'm trying to split this wood apart to get it into the hard head of the saints. Um, you know, with a, like trying to split wood with a, a piece of cornbread for a wedge and a, and a pumpkin for a hammer, if, if you go back into the context, what he's actually, because that's a strange quote uh, in our mindset, but probably wasn't. Oh, hold on here. All right, I can get on this other channel. Anyway, but um, like there's a foundation, these, these mosaic laws were part of a foundation that was going to help people get to the point where he, they could eventually, when the time was right, receive higher laws. And nowhere in the Bible does God condemn uh, polygamy. He condemns the multiplying of wives, which is more than just taking a, you know, a couple wives. It's actually just taking on a whole bunch of wives, and that's not... Uh, and it was only meant for kings. That was the prohibition for kings. Um, and Solomon's problem when he took so many wives is he took wives of other nations, which polluted his understanding, and, and he allowed things that he shouldn't have allowed uh, because of the pagan practices of these individuals that he took on his wife. But, um, but polygamy in and of itself was never spoken of by God uh, or condemned by God, only... Um, 
and it, or I guess it was in Jacob chapter 2, um, because it was being done unrighteously, and they were multiplying wives. But anyway, so, um, hold on. I'm, like, trying to drive my truck and do all the things. Like, people think that you just get in a truck and you just drive, and it, you know, like, there's a lot more to driving a truck than there is. You can get in a car and just stop the cruise control and go. That is not how it is in a truck. It, there's a whole bunch of stuff you got to keep um, your eyes on <laughs> and do. So, anyway, um, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I just... It just drives me a little bit nuts that people get so passionate about condemning polygamy. And they think that their fervor adds some kind of importance to what they're saying. But Christian pastors pastors do it too, to teach the false doctrines in apostate Christianity. Like, I'm sorry that you've gotten off on this path, this individual that I I watched this video, uh, but there's so much more to it. And like because you're so hard headed, like you you think you're not because you you accepted polygamy for all these years, and then you found out this that and the other, and now you're like gung ho against polygamy, and you've hardened your mind, and you say that you you could you you know you could be corrected. Well. Here I am to correct you. And these people, this individual, like I'm, you know, in their group, whatever, and they, I talk all the time on their Zoom calls in their, uh, in their Facebook gr- uh, group and everything, you know. And but I'm just, I'm this guy that's had some really good experiences, but I'm, I'm deceived, you know. Uh, I'm wrong about uh, Jesus taking away the higher priesthood. Um, and all of that in section 124 that they they uh, disagree with me on. I'm wrong about polygamy. Oh, but I'm you know they really love listening to me. But like in these key points, they're like, oh, that's wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And you know what? It gets so old. I I don't know these things because I studied them out. I know why it's important because God showed me why it's important. And I use these other things, like this book that we're reading, to show you that it is not an abomination. You have to understand these things in context. And if you don't understand it in context, you're never going to get the, the you're never going to understand it completely. And Satan is going to take away a very important principle away from you through your own hard heart and your un are you misunderstanding of things. And once you get into the mindset of the, the strong delusion of believing lies, it's hard to get out of that. You know, and I can show them one way up and down the other, whatever, to, uh, to try to help them to see. But it's like the LDS church. They justify their actions all the time. And they will justify, and it's like they're as bad as the Jews. You can get two rabbis. To talk about um, one scripture, and they'll come up with five different opinions because they gotta like try to figure it out this way, that way, and the other way, and like it's just like a wave tossed to and fro on the sea. 
and I don't know. I just I'm so tired of it all. I wish I could just quit. I don't. I just wish I could quit. I'm tired of arguing with people. But you know what? If I stop doing these things, I lose the spirit, and I want to have the spirit with me. So here we are. Anyway, Kim. Kim. Okay. Are you done with that rant? (laughs) Yeah, I'm done with the rant. I'll rant more later. You can guarantee it. I guarantee (laughs) it. Whatever. All right, I'll mute myself. Are you at uh, Luther's work, three forty-six? We've already finished that quote, by the way. The next part is also we may note. Yeah. Okay. When you said that Luther's work, I'm like, wait, that's not what I'm reading. But then I was like, oh, that was the quote before this, and I was like, okay, never mind. So. Yes. Yeah, I'm in the right spot. (laughs) You just confused me. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll go ahead and read. All right. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Also, we may note that the law code of Hammurabi made provisions that a slave wife or handmaid who bore a child to her owner did not take the place of the childless wife in the family household. That's interesting. The latter, however had no right to dismiss the slave wife and her child. That comes from Zondervan's Encyclopedia of the Bible, 124. When the Lord told Abraham he would have a son, he laughed because he was so old. When Sarah was told that she would bear a son, she also laughed. But the Lord was not going to hold back any blessings from this polygamous family. Some have reasoned that the Lord prevented Sarah from having any children because she would not accept the principle of plural marriage, which honestly, that came to my mind too, so I could see that happening. Um, I thought about that too. Some people that would um, reject it, and there was greater things that God had to come out of the the plurality of the marriage, I guess. Um, I thought, well, maybe that's why, but honestly our the way we comprehend things is just in this dimension so we <clears throat> i'm sure we'll all be enlightened much more after anyways continuing on after she consented to accept hagar into the family then the lord blessed her with a child we can only say that in monogamy she felt cursed as a barren wife in polygamy she was blessed with children it cannot be said that sarah was without fault or the passions of jealousy and she cast out the handmaid from their home. However, an angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar and gave her comfort and a promise. That's Genesis chapter 16, verse 7 through 11, quote, And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai is made. Whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from my face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. 
end quote. That's from Genesis, Genesis chapter 16, verse 7 through 11. If polygamy were a sin, God would not send an angel to comfort a woman who was living in it. Neither would he send her back into the house to keep on living such a crime. Neither would the angel give a promise from the Lord to bless her offspring and multiply thy seed exceedingly and announce her pregnancy by the polygamist Abraham. The name of that son given by the angel was Ishmael, meaning God hears, not hardly the name to be given of a child that was born in a sinful relationship. When a similar situation arose later and she and Ishmael were in the desert, about to die of thirst, an angel of the Lord came again and told her where there was a spring of water. He further assured her that God was with her and that her children would become a great nation. And now we're on um, page 37. Did you have anything you wanted to say about that? Nope. Okay, I'll just continue. I'm good. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Abraham's life is written as an example for others to follow. He is unique, yet he, his obvious polygamy was with divine approval and cannot be dismissed. Abraham, who God selected from among all the people of the earth to become the progenitor of our Savior, was a polygamist. Was there not one good monogamist among all the earth's inhabitants whom God could have selected for this exalted position? There must have been, but... As God wanted to encourage polygamy, he selected a polygamist. Does God consider plurality of wives adultery? Ah, no. It was, well, Abraham was living with two wives. God changed his name. That was loud. Changed his name and gave him a more honorable one. And for the first time promised that he should become the father of many nations. And that king should come out of his loins and establish God's covenant with him. And while Abraham was living with two wives, God and his holy angels communed with him oftener and talked with him more and made him more great precious promises than all that or than all the other men on the whole earth. If you doubt these facts, read the 17th and 18th chapters of Genesis. Abraham was never called the friend of God until after he became a polygamist. That comes from Marriage or the Bible in Polygamy, Reverend Summers, pages 16 through 17. After Abraham died, the Lord said to his son Isaac, who was born in polygamy, in Genesis chapter 26, verse 4 through 5, quote, I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and unto thy seed will I give all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, end quote, from Genesis chapter 26, verse 4 through 5. The Lord said this about Abraham, a man who had two wives for about 19 years and even added many more wives to his household. This shows that polygamy is not a sin in the eyes of God. Abraham is referred to in both the Old Testament and, or Old and New Testaments as the friend of God. No monogamist ever received that appellation from God. Neither did any woman married in monogamy ever have angels of the Lord give the same promises that they did to Sarah and Hagar. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died in Kirasaraba, uh, Kirais, no, Kiraisarba, Kirasaraba, or also known as Hebron. (laughs) 
which became the family burial place. And it can be seen today commemorated with a mosque over it. Ancient manuscripts are being unearthed today, giving flowery descriptions of Sarah. Yet we already know by scriptures that even when she was 65 years old, Abraham feared for his life because she was so beautiful that others might desire her enough to threaten Abraham. The ancient prophet Isaiah paid tribute to her by telling the Israelites that they should be proud to be her descendants. See also Isaiah 50, chapter 51, verse 2. <clears throat> she, Sarah, is highly esteemed by the Jews as a kind of mother figure and example, example of piety. She seems to also to be admired, I'm sorry, an example of piety. She seems also to be admired as an epitome of feminine pulchritude. That comes from Zondervan's Encyclopedia of the Bible, Volume 5, page 274. The disciples of Christ also paid respect and honor to her in their writings because of her faith in God and obedience to his commandments. See Romans chapter 4, verse 19, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, and 1 Peter chapter 6, 3, verse 6. The life of Abraham was a transcript of perfection. He laid out a heavenly and honorable array of examples and patterns, which pleased God, who in turn blessed and honored his seed. God testified to Abraham that he would have a lasting fame and immortal name. Abraham's family was united, peaceful, and prosperous, and they met with the full approbation of God. His marriages were right and proper. Nothing was unvirtuous or dishonorable. None of Abraham's children were considered illegitimate, nor did God cause any curse to come upon them. Abraham was visited by and talked with the, to God. This man with two wives had a discussion with the Almighty about family and domestic concerns. God, knowing Abraham and his future, did not say anything about passion or lustful desires. God did not rebuke him for a carnal mind or being tempted with women. Why didn't he say something of that nature? If Abraham was wrong in having two wives. Actually, God encouraged his polygamy. This Bible story about Abraham might be condensed into just a few words. God was actually saying, Abraham... I see no fault with you having two wives. In fact, I'm going to bless you and your wives. I will bless them and their children with an endless posterity. I bless your wife, Sarah, with a son, which she has not been able to have because of her age. I will bless her son, and he shall be the means through which the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Your wife, Hagar, shall be greatly blessed, and I will make her children become kings, um, potentates, potentates, no, potentates. I don't know. And many nations shall, oh, oh no, I think the kids are calling me and it's making it so I can't read. Hold on. Um, let's see if I can go back on to where I was without losing my spot. <clears throat> okay. And many nations shall be among her offspring. I shall assign an angel to watch over and care and comfort her. And you, Abraham, shall be blessed with children that shall be numbered as the sands upon the seashores. That is not the way God talks to sinners. The Christian world today will call Abraham a friend of God and the father of the faithful, but they refuse to accept his family lifestyle. God claims that he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and that this shall be my name and my memorial to all generations. 
Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. If polygamy were not a principle that was to be sanctioned by Christians, then why was God representing himself to be the God of such notorious polygamists to all generations? Why didn't he choose some monogamist to represent himself instead of a polygamist? Or why choose someone like polygamist Abraham to be memorable to all future generations and as most righteous family men to be respected? This memorial memorial abraham is today the most honored man among the nations of the world he is respected as a prophet and obedient servant to god and the father of a family of royal blood this honor comes from jews mohammedans and christians alike what an honor for a polygamist now we're going to be on chapter 6 page 41 the promises of abraham so you can speak to your heart's consent. <laughs> Are you there? Yeah. Uh, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. So we have these lines open and available for people with questions or comments. Um, they don't get used very often, but that's fine. Uh, it is what it is. I, I um, what. In the last week or two, I've had three individuals ask me about baptism. Um, I'm willing to meet people. Uh, I do not invite people to my home unless I personally know them. Not like as acquaintances, but like only personally. Um, But we do have uh, places that we can go and do baptism. So if that is a thing that, uh, that you would like... Uh, we can see about making that happen. Um, and uh, there's more people that want to be baptized, but they live so far away that I can't go to them. Like when we went to North Carolina and South Carolina, it wiped me out. I, and even just driving up to Provo from where we live, I'm so tired when we're done. And I'm willing to do that. To meet people in, in Utah County or Salt Lake County by the airport or whatever and go to wherever it is that we need to go to to do the ordinances. But traveling is so difficult for me, and I don't even want, like, we live in Emory County, and all of the shopping is in Carbon County. I don't even like going there. I mean, it's not so bad. I'll do it. But... um and if people want to come down to Carbon County, there's places that we can go down there as well uh, for baptism. And baptism is, um, well, rebaptism uh, to recommit yourself, that was a thing practiced in the early church that was done away with. But um, there's also this other thing that happened. Um, Dan- Hold on, let me close my window. In Daniel chapter 12, it talks about a time when... Uh, the power of all the holy people would be scattered. And that actually was fulfilled in July of 2013. And it's basically a hard reset. And the reason why God did that is because of all the corruption and all of the lines of authority, for one, but also because I am, I have been sent to this earth to be a witness. And... Um, when I asked him, because it shocked me when he told me to, to sever the ordinances of all the holy people, which includes the priesthood and, and marriages and everything else, 
and I do perform marriages as well, feelings, marriages. Anyway, but um, I asked him why he, because it shocked me. You know, I'm like, why do you want me to do that? And he said, because if they won't accept you as my witness, I will not accept them. And my job, my role, as a general over um, over the ministering spirits, is to send angels out to testify of truth. But my my main role is God the Father sends me to teach you truth to tell you all that you should do so that you can come back into the covenant with Jesus Christ so that he can bring you back into the presence of the Father. And like Christians will reject the Father, but they accept the Son, and they confuse the Holy Ghost or God the Witness, so they don't get accepted. They're apostate Christianity. The Jews accept the Father, but they reject the Son and the Witness. They're apostate. They are not accepted. Uh, God will eventually bring all of these people back into into the fold, and He's made a way for that to happen. But there's a curse that comes along with their with their unbelief and their disobedience. The Mormons accept Jesus and the Father, but they don't accept the Witness, who I am, when He is sent to them, when I am sent to them. So they have the same curse that the apostate Christians and the Jews receive. And because they have rejected my witness, God looks at that as basically they've rejected him. Because I am here as a witness for him. When Joseph Smith said that the gospel would be preached unto a witness and then the end would come, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And so what I was talking about before, where I've I've been feeling like God spoke to me last, he didn't speak to me audibly, but he's putting it in my heart that I need to completely sever all ties and to instruct people to completely sever all ties with the LDS Church. Now, in the past, I have told people after that they've been baptized by me to be a light to the people in those places. But it's there's something that's changing and uh, God is telling me to warn you not only to leave the populated areas that Emory County is a gathering place for the exodus but also that people need to submit their resignations for the LDS church and stop attending those meetings and you know I there's one individual that wants be baptized that lives up in Logan and his wife and I know he's listening to this right now he told me this morning that his wife is scared to pray and she knows that Brigham Young is not a prophet but she's scared to pray about me which I am not sure why because well all I can say is uh, in the Book of Mormon it is said that the devil teaches you not to pray but God wants you to pray always but also for the his wife, um, you know, you've got to study these things out. Actually, listen to what I've said. Now, I'm going to be making um, a program on Blog Talk Radio talking about my witness, my experiences, who I am, where I come from, 
why I say the things that I say and talk about my uh, spiritual experiences. So for my friend Jeremy, um, when I do that, let your wife listen to it. And then, uh, and then she can, like, that'll be something that she can listen to and say, well, okay, well, these things, if I believe them, you know, whatever, she can study it out better than just praying and asking and not even knowing anything about me or who I am other than what you've told her. Because uh, she's like, if she wants to know, she needs to find out. And finding out is more than just being presented with the possibility that Mark Walter is a prophet and uh, the, the Lord's anointed, which Jeremy says he knows that I am by revelation. Um, but it's actually studying things, uh, these things out and, and you know, maybe even speaking to me and listening to the things that I've had to say and hearing why I say the things that I have to say. So I'm going to work on that. I have, I've been exhausted. Um, I am almost, uh, at the end of this shift, I will be somewhere around 68 to 69 hours this week. Um, and that's just work time. That's not any other stuff that I have to do. I mean, this ministry, I literally take probably between two, one to two, sometimes three hours a day working on this stuff. And it all takes time. So, uh, I'll try to get that out as soon as I can. But, um, so I know Kim, you probably don't have the studio up. Let's see if I can pull it up. Okay, we don't have anybody in the studio, and nobody said anything in okay. chat. So I think we're just going to be done with the program for today. And um, I'll see if I can try to work on uh, getting the, uh, the podcast that I'm going to do um, that talks about my history and why I say the things. I, I might release that tomorrow, and it might be in parts because there's a lot of information. So. Anyway, uh, is there anything that you have to say before uh, we do the end music, Kim? Kim. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Sorry. Oh, I said that was good. I I agreed with a lot of it, and um, I was really surprised to hear some of the stuff that you said in your recording. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. I know. I whatever. Anyway, I'll talk about it with you later. Um, okay, so I'm on the mine road. I gotta end the program. So I'll cue the music. Go ahead and mute your mic. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. <laughs>
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.